Hey, welcome to another episode of Breakaway from the Rat Race. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Adam Zuck. Adam is a retired civil engineer turned real estate entrepreneur with a niche in rent-to-own investments and creative financing. He has over 50 properties in 30 states, and he's a true master of his craft. Adam co-created Home Equity Partner, which is an innovative uh, company that helps people achieve homeownership through custom housing options that include rent-to-own, lease purchase options, and contract for deeds. I don't even know what contract for deeds means, so we're going to learn about that. Adam and the Home Equity Partner not only help individuals and families live the American dream, but they also partner with real estate agents, brokers, and investors just like you to bring their vision to life. Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Eric. I'm excited to be here. So Adam, so you started, you co-created or co-founded Home Equity Partner. Can you tell us what brought you to, to create this uh, Home Equity Partner? What is your business model about that whole rent-to-own space? For sure. I'll probably start instead of taking you back to the origin, start with like where we are right now. So yesterday, I was signing two pieces of paper were what I call tenant buyers. So they're, they're people that are, can't get into a home the traditional way. So they're using lease options or contract for deeds. We're actually exercising their option or refinancing with a bank. Yep. And so it was really cool to see that full cycle where 18 months ago, they couldn't get a bank loan, but they said, hey, I have a high you know, down payment. I'm self-employed. I'm just waiting for my you know, two years of tax returns. Could you buy me a home? And then, hey, I'll buy it back from you or refinance within you know, 18 months or two years. And that, that is the ultimate goal of what we're trying to do. And so in this case, us or our investors, in this case, we took title, sold it to them. One of them was a lease option. The other one was a contract for deed or sometimes called land contract. Mm -hmm. And then after they've worked on either their credit or their income or the bank says, okay, now you fit inside this box, then they go and execute that option or refinance and buy it back from us. And now they're in the traditional mortgage. But over the last 18 months, two years, they got to build equity, some home appreciation, and they've been living in the house that they picked out. So that that's kind of like the perfect model of what we're trying to do is get these people into homes that can't get a bank loan. So they're you know not throwing money away on rent. And of course, not all of them work out perfectly, but like this is what we wanted to do. And then if, the further we get back, the stupider Adam gets. And then um, we, we, can, we can dive into a lot of those from flipping houses to our tenants flooding the basement for our very first rental to having college kids pick out rentals, to flipping houses. So we, we did all kinds of stuff. But if I was starting from where we're at right now, yeah. um, and then we can kind of dive back um, as far back as we want to go. Yeah. No, I think this is very important. I mean, I think, you know, I think something, every once in a while, I mean, you can talk about kind of like why you did you did something. I mean, that's fine. But I think it's it's important to kind of like where you are today and where we're going and kind of like in the, moving forward as well. But I think what uh, I mean, obviously, you you do a lot of these deals, and uh, you know, and you provide a lot of information already. But it's still not very clear. I'm sure it's not very clear to me, and it's not very clear to our audience exactly what that means. So I am a person. I'm really uh, I I'm a self-employed person, and there's so many people like that today. They don't have uh, enough of a, of a track record and they don't have W-2s. They don't have income, enough income taxes. They want to buy a house. So do they find the house first or did they talk to you because you have a house for sale or how does that, how, that's first step. How does that first step actually work? 
Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. So I think you first want to determine, do I want to just continue to rent and wait two years? Because that could be a very acceptable answer. Yeah. Or is it, hey, I want some sort of home ownership, um, you know, flavor now. And if the answer is the latter, it's like, okay, well, how can we get creative? And then we are one of, you know, maybe seven different options. You could go and start calling existing landlords and just said, Hey, will you sell or finance this to me? And that can mean a bunch of different things where you take title and they take a first position. You could, you know, work with different companies such as ourselves that'll buy the home and then sell it to you on a lease option. Um, So there's a lot of different ways that you could get into it, whether it's individual or, you know, um, kind of a company wide base. But in general, I would say that's kind of the preface is, do you want to wait? Or do you want it now? If you're like, oh, I want it now. It's like, okay, well, now we have to figure out. um, Sometimes there's what's called a non qualified mortgage, which is like a bank statement loan, um, which is still again, uh, you know, sold on the secondary market, which, you know, just might be a point or two higher, again, still nothing to do with, you know, us or our company. Or you could just say, Hey, Eric, you got some money. Do you want to do a private mortgage to me? Like if you got an uncle, you got a dad, you got someone, you just say, Hey, here's this $200,000 house. Would you borrow me $180,000 at seven and a half percent interest rate and I'll refinance in five years. Like you could do that creatively just with people that, you know, as an individual mortgage. And then if, if those still didn't work or you were looking to, you know, get even more creative, that's where home equity partner would come in. So if you come in and you say, Hey, what are my options? We would say, okay, this is how we work. We would say, we're going to go through and get and screen you almost like a bank and a landlord at the same time. Yeah. If you can get a mortgage, we're just going to say, go, go try to get a mortgage. But if you can't, we're going to say, okay, based on your risk profile, here's what your down payment would need to be. And yeah. to make sure that your monthly payment to income doesn't exceed like, let's say three times. Yeah. Like we don't want you overpriced into a home. Here's your general budget. So you say, okay, cool. I'm I'm approved for 250,000 and 10% down. Yeah. In our program, they would then go find an agent. We would supply the pre-approval letter from US Bank or, or you know, Bank of America, or whatever. And then the agent would go show these clients, entrepreneurs, whoever homes, and wants to say, Hey, I want that one. Okay. And we then we quote them terms. We say, okay, here's your buyback price over the next three years. Here's your monthly payment. Here's responsible for taxes, insurance repairs. Here's your monthly payment. Here's your down payment amount. Here's like the timeline. And then we'd get the property under contract with our LLC. And at the same time, do a letter of intent with the end buyer to have them execute a lease with an option to buy. And you can okay. do that a couple of different ways. And I can go into the difference between a yeah, lease and complicated. Buy versus yes, contract yes. deed. <laughs> What's that? That's not complicated just yet. So they would come to you sure. and I say, "Hey, Adam, I want to uh, I want to buy a house. I want to spend this much money. Blah blah blah. This is how much I'm making right now. Blah blah blah." You would create like a pre-approval letter and say, "Hey, you know this per- You would look at all the financials and you would say, "This guy is pre-approved for uh, for this for one hundred fifty thousand or two hundred fifty thousand dollar house." And blah, blah, blah. And these are the terms and all of that. Then he would go to uh, a broker or an agent and then say, hey, I'm, I'm pre-approved for this. Let's shop for a house. And then, you know, and that's it. That's kind of like the same way that you would get a pre-approved letter from, like you mentioned, like a bank. And then, you know, then you, everybody's more comfortable at that point uh, to, uh, to spend their time, you know, showing you houses and stuff like that. And so I think, now, and I think. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and one, one difference is, so there, there's companies that are doing this on a large scale, like thousands of homes a month, like Divi Homes or Home Partners of America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right. 
so so the trick the, the only difference is instead of giving them a pre-approval letter saying we're going to lend you and be in first position we're giving them a pre-approval pre-approval letter contingent upon us taking title or the investor taking title. So they don't get a pre-approval letter with them taking title, getting to make all the decisions because they're not the ones coming up with, you know, $140,000 in this case. And and it's not a lender. So that would be about the only difference from like a normal pre-approval letter to like, Hey, this is how our program works with, you know, just who's on title and who's, who's getting a loan. So Divi is not, they're not on title on these properties, but you would be. So it, it, in in both cases, they would be on title. So Divi Homes, Home Partners of America, and us, we would be on title. Okay, okay. So okay, so that's all. Oh, I see. That's the only difference between a bank and your your particular because the bank is not on title. You own the bank, and then they have a lien on the property. In your situation, you would be on title. That's uh, right. Own the property, and then at one point there would be a pre negotiated transfer of ownership. Uh, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Okay. So that's, that's right. So you own the home. So you say, okay, yeah, we'll own the home. And then uh, I'm going to pay the rent. So what does that look like in terms of rent? So if I have like, a, let's say it's a, like a, a $200,000 house, uh, what kind of monthly payment would I make to uh, the home equity partner? What kind of down payment should I, should I be making? Would I be expecting to make? Sure. So what we're figuring out is we have, we're trying to determine what the market demand is. So we're trying to find private investors that are saying, hey, for this person, what kind of return would you expect to see? And they're saying, I would probably want like what the stock market is, which is the equivalent of maybe like a 10% or eight to 10% interest rate. And so that equivalent on, let's say a $200,000 house might be with 10% down, like $2,200 $2,200 a month. Yeah. And with them gaining maybe $200 to $300 a month of either equity savings or rent credits, to, depending on how you want to look at it. But mm-hmm. I would say that that's probably like a, a pretty close example of what someone's expecting for a return or an, an investor is expecting for a return versus what they could do somewhere else. Okay. So they would put $10,000, 10% down. So like $20,000 down payment. And then, then they would pay $2,200 uh, a month in in rent which which uh okay so that that's pretty good i mean i think you would even at one percent if you're using the one percent rule i mean excluding the down payment piece of it uh this is you're kind of like right around there on a two hundred thousand dollar house so that's uh that's pretty decent so i make my payments and then like two years down the road uh i say okay well i'm ready like i have uh i'm ready to buy now let's let's do it um so what happens then so in this case it's it's really fun looking at the hud statement of these people that are buying it because what we want to make sure is let's say that you had the right to buy the home at two hundred fifteen thousand dollars anytime in the next three years you say okay it's 215 what we don't want is for the lender to say, okay, well, you're buying it at 215, but you put 20 grand down and you have seven grand of credit. So technically you're only buying it for 197. And then we want you to put 10% down. So you got to come up with another $19,000. Yeah, nope, yeah, yeah. That's, that's not how we structure it. And I would recommend talking to a different lender because we can do this all the time where we say, nope, they're buying it for 215. Here's their paperwork showing that they put down 20 grand plus they've built seven grand of on-time payments you know, according to, you know, to the rent credits that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are okay with. So they say, okay, well, this person needs 10% down. It's a $215,000 house. They already have 27 down. Basically with that closing cost and everything, the, the, the individuals that we've had that refinance pay maybe less than a thousand dollars. Right. So then they, 
Then okay. they refinance or buy the house at 215. Their loans, you know, call it 180, 190. And now their monthly payment might be $1,800 a month. Okay. Okay. Um, and so that way, that for they, they save the money. Now they're in a mortgage. Now they're in on title. They have different benefits and, and they have a little bit more control. Um, and then hopefully the home is either worth, you know, more than 215 or whatever it is, but there's a preset price. So the investor has some risk because if the market drops to 150, the tenant buyer could say, nope, I'm out of this thing. I'll lose my yeah. 20 grand, but turns yeah. out investor, you got the, the, the bad end of this. So on one sense, it's good for the tenant buyer because they can walk away, even though they would lose their, you know, their option. But at the same time, they have the benefit then if it goes even higher. So when we had people in 2020 or 2019 that were buying houses and they saw the huge uptick, well, now in 2023, it's kind of a, well, what are people going to see? So there's some risk and rewards on both sides. So what we're trying to do is balance that out and say, hey, what are investors expecting to see, you know, for that option to buy the home? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that option to buy the home is at a set price at the beginning of the contract. Is that right? That is. Um, you, you, what, what's, what's interesting is you could put maybe three different ways that I've seen it. Yeah. One, you're just going to pay whatever it appraises at, which is at the subject of whatever the appraisal wants to do, which I don't recommend. Number two is maybe a percent increase per year. Just say, hey, it's 4% per year annualized. We're just going to let that buck. That's the historical average in this market. The sooner you do it, the better. The longer you go, it's just going to keep compounding at 4%. Or three, hey, this is the set price. This is what you're buying it for. And then that way, the appraiser or the bank have something to shoot for. And they know like an exact number and it doesn't change as things are going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay, so you had that two hundred thousand dollar house after a couple of years now it's worth like two hundred and ten, two hundred and twenty, uh, and then. Uh, but if you agreed at the price upfront, then two years later, you're going to the bank and it appraised for two forty. That's great. If that appraised for one ninety nine, then it's just like okay, does that mean that I as a tenant? lease to own person i can just say well forget about it i'm not going to buy the property but then you're on the hook for the property right so you still own the property and that's then- right so the the investor would still own the property if it appraises mm-hmm. for more the bank's only going to lend on the lower of the purchase price or the appraised yeah. value if the appraised value comes in less the tenant yeah. buyer could you know basically put do the same thing down yeah yeah put more money down or renegotiate with the investor and the investor yeah. might just say go fly a kite or no that sounds good let's le- okay. let's let's meet in the middle because I the see. investor probably doesn't you know want to want to do that either and so there's there's probably similar to a similar purchase and sale agreement where there's some negotiations okay okay so that that kind of makes sense i mean that's uh that's a good uh, then you uh, so you're connecting so you keep talking about investors so you're you're kind of like the middleman here uh i guess some of the properties are yours you're the investors but sometimes you also have you have another person uh, behind uh behind the curtain that's basically say okay i'll buy the property uh through kind of like home equity partner one which is a partner llc where we're both members or something like that and then I'll put the money up front and then we somehow the money gets funneled and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. And I, but I, I, the investor own the property and then I, you know, all that kind of stuff. Is that correct? Or. Yep. So, so you're spot on. We started doing this off a hundred percent home equity partner would buy and keep. So yes. in my engineering days, when I had an 800 credit score and a W2, I could get a loan from just about anybody. So yeah. the, the idea was, okay. I didn't have a ton of capital because I can't keep putting down 20% every time because you basically run out of money. 
So this is where the idea came from, which was, okay, how do I get a higher cash on cash return without coming up with more money? So this is where, okay, so let's say I have a $200,000 house. The tenant buyer comes in with 10%. I only need to come in with 10% or me, my business partner, you know? So it's like, okay, well now I can do twice as many deals. You know, they're typically higher than the normal rent, which if rent is 1800, we're able to charge 2200. So you kind of juice the cash flow a little bit just because of the unique problem that you're solving. And then what's even more creative is if you're not buying these as conventional, but in commercial, you can use the seller credit trick. So sometimes what we would do is we would offer $210,000 on the home with a $10,000 seller credit, still 200,000 net to the seller. But in this case, then we had to come up with $10,000 less in closing costs to the bank. And and on a commercial loan, they don't care. All it was is did it appraise at 210. And so then we started almost buying properties with less than 5% down, just almost doing what the bank does, right? We're just borrowing money from one and lending it out and absorbing that sort of a risk. So then that's kind of where the accelerator button happened. And then once we said, okay, we're doing so many of these that we can't get financing ourselves to buy these. And we're not, and we don't, we haven't raised enough money to buy them all cash. So -hmm. we said, okay, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to help out my other buddy engineer. Hey, I tell you what, we got this individual. He's going to put 10% down. He's two years away from a mortgage. What if we just assign this to you? We took a quick nickel and then they get the slow dime. And so it's probably, you know, trended towards 50, 50, if we're going to keep it or if we're going to assign it, but every single offer that we send out, we'll, we'll buy it ourselves or we'll offer it up to an investor if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what are the risks? So from the buyer's perspective, I mean, there's very little risk. I mean, you put your down payment. So let's say you put your down payment, you put, uh, I'm assuming that your, your rent uh, is uh, includes a component that's going to be credited at the end towards the full down payment. Is that right? That's right. So what's, it, that, it, what's that ratio? What's the percentage of the rent that uh, would go actually to uh, to the down payment? So so a quick, again, I'm not an attorney, but, but yeah. two quick legal tips. So yeah. if you're buying a property, you love to see rent credits because those can, can be attributed if your lender looks at it right towards your down payment. And so yeah. if it's 10% of the monthly payment, somewhere between 10 and 20% typically, so $200 a month to $400 a month, it's probably matching... Um, similar to the amortization schedule. Typically you pay a lot more in interest than you do in principle. So it's like, yep. you're maybe knocking off a little bit in principle every single month, but you're, but you're, you're gaining something for making on-time payments yep. on the seller side. I've heard that it can be construed as like equity in the property. And so if for some reason you had to take back the property, it could be considered a foreclosure, not an eviction. And so that has more risk to the investor in that side, because typically a foreclosure is yeah. well, you got to go through the proceedings and all that, whereas evictions like 30 days, paperwork, they're done, which yeah. is why there's typically two agreements, a lease agreement and an option agreement. Yeah, and again, yeah. we haven't even got into land contracts because that's a whole nother um, realm of different ways of structuring it and different legal things. But just from a simplicity stake, a yeah. lease and option agreement that, yeah, maybe they're making $200 a month that gets credited towards their down payment, similar to what Divi Homes does. Um, and they get creative. They call it savings. They yeah. don't call it rent credits. They, yeah. you know, they bank it up separately just so that they can comply with, with some of those rules and laws. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, so, yeah, that'd be that'd be pretty interesting because if I stop paying, if I stop paying my rent, my lease to own, I mean, is you how can you you can't really can you really evict me or, you know, that's like that's would be kind of a promise that way. We have this other contract here when I'm trying to buy this property and stuff like that. So that's that is interesting. Yeah. And that's, that's where it's really good to have a real estate attorney involved. And I, and I, 
Yeah. Every time I listen to a podcast, I always hate that answer because they say, oh, it depends and, and talk to a real estate investor. So I, I will try to give my hard knocks version of it. We, yeah. started off do, we started off doing these with like, oh, I could just put an option price on there. And if they sign it, that's all I need. Yeah. And then it was like, it was, it was literally like two sentences or two words like, hey, I'm going to buy this property for 215000 yeah. That That is in no way near anywhere from a compliance standpoint to now having like an 11 page or 20 page legal document that says, okay, if this, then that, if this, then that, if this, then that, like all the section of arbitration and all the yeah. fancy stuff that attorneys like to put in there. Um, so we're actually giving away copies of our free lease option. If you want to ever reach out just so that somebody yeah. can understand what that looks like. And so um, we can get that to them, but in general, yes, that's why the, the two agreements are separate because as an investor, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to tell the judge, Hey, here's my lease agreement and here's his eviction. And yeah. if I'm a tenant buyer, I would say, Hey, here's my option agreement. Could, can any way this be construed? Typically though, if a tenant buyer isn't paying, it's because they don't have money. And if they're going to go find an attorney and what the judge is going to say, do they want to risk that from attorney's fee? And in general, as long as both sides have agreed on, you know, what this is, because typically state century code has a lot to do with selling of homes, yeah. buying of homes, but this creative finance space, some states definitely, you know, talk about option and contract for deeds, but sometimes it's like a little bit of the wild west where what's the judge going to say, or the attorney yeah. general, if they get it, it's like, who's, you know, who, who, who do they want to go after? Who's in the yeah, right or who's yeah. in the wrong? Yeah, I guess so. And I, I think the two agreements, I think it's great. And I would think that two payments even like, so this is like, oh, this is my rent. And this is towards the, the lease agreement or the lease option, different bank accounts, different, every, different contract and stuff like that. And then different terms, obviously. So here you're leasing. This is how much you're paying for a lease. If you don't pay, you're out. We can talk about the lease options separately in it, you know, because there are different terms, different conditions on that. Yeah. So, Cause there's the lease agreement and then the option agreement. Yeah, yeah for sure. That makes perfect sense, actually. So yeah, okay. So all right, I stop paying the rent, and then yeah. So there's a lot of scenarios that could come come, and we're not going to talk really about all the scenarios. But so what happens if um, at the end and stuff like that? I say I'm not interested in the property, but I have my ten thousand dollar down payment, and I have been paying you know consistently for two years. I'm not interested in buying the property. What happens to the money that has been given to you uh for the for the option piece of the of the agreement sure i i see them having three options number one extend and renegotiate hey i need more time you know whatever if they're like no i truly want out of this two is you can literally just walk away forfeit your option your rent or three is exercise your option and sell the property and if there's enough equity in there you would gain whatever that difference is similar okay. to as if like let's say you bought a home and sold a home like, well, by the time you pay an agent to 6% and whatnot, like you might need to bring money towards closing, but yeah. maybe it's not as much as the 20% down or the 10% that you put down. So yeah. they would have those options on what they wanted to move forward with. Yeah. And, you know, from there they could, you know, kind of determine which one was, was appropriate okay. to them. If that makes sense, Eric. Yeah, that kind of makes sense because at the end, after two years, I have my $10,000 that's been with you, um, and then I have my the other portion that I've been paying extra on my rent uh, basically adds up to like seven or eight thousand dollars. So I have that seventeen thousand dollars. And then whatever happens to the the property price, I could go and talk to you and say, hey, you know what, this deal doesn't make sense for me anymore. And then you can negotiate on a better price, on an extension of the option, on you know whatever you need to. 
but you can negotiate in order to continue and exercise the option. You can completely back out and say and forfeit your money. So that's that's a harsh option. Option mm -hmm. and say I lose everything. Now, I, as I would lose my seventeen thousand dollars basically if I walk away. Mm -hmm. um, so and then the third option is basically I would talk to you and say let's sell the property and then split the profit. Yeah. So you would have an amount due that like is almost like a mortgage balance. Like, Hey, this is the amount due. Like, let's call it 150,000. Yeah. And let's say you got 17 grand into it. So you say, okay, my break even point to get 17 grand back is I need to sell this for 179 because I'm going to okay. pay 10 grand in, in closing costs and then two grand for, or, or yeah, for agents, closing costs, whatnot. So as long as I come out with about 167, I'll yeah. basically net neutral in it. And then anything less than that, I'm, you know, losing part of it. And then anything above that would yeah. be a gain. So like in 2020, if it's now worth 200,000, you're like, sweet, let me, let me just sell it. Let me do whatever. And, yeah. you know, I'll just profit from that. And then I'm done with the property, but I also gained. And of course it could go the other way of like, okay, well now I'm upside down. What am I going to do? Do yeah. I want to stay? Do I want to, you know, just get out of it? And so that, that would be the risk and reward that you play with these yeah. lease and options. So the, the, but you don't, you would, you basically would be the one that would be selling the property. And then you would kind of figure out the accounting after that. You wouldn't, me as the, as the buyer, I wouldn't be a tenant. I wouldn't be the one actually selling the property. You would be doing that. And then you would figure out the, what the accounting looks like, how much money I would get back potentially or break even stuff like that. Right. Yeah, it's it, yeah, it gets it gets it gets tricky, especially yeah. talking with like an agent where you're like, okay, well, he's on title. Okay, would I have a purchase and sale agreement here saying that it's in his name? So if I'm listing it, who you know, who am I, who yeah. who, who am I listing it with? And then typically there's there's some agreement of like, okay, here's the terms of the sale and the negotiations and whatnot, because what they don't want is the seller or the tenant buyer to have complete control over it. And he just says, Oh, yeah, sell it for fire sale at 130,000. I could care less. And the, and the investors say, well, no, wait a second. Like if you're going to leave, I'm not going to sell this house. I'm going to keep it. And I'm going to rent it out or I'm going to fix it up and I'm going to sell it for, for something else. So there's, there's um, language in that option agreement of like how that could work. Yeah. So what are some of these? Uh, so I'm going to talk to, to the buyer of the property, buyer tenant and stuff like that. Uh, what are some of these, uh, the questions they have? I mean, this is, is this like uh, something that's very complex to explain mm. to them? And then the, you know, like, is it like, what kind of questions do you have on, from these people? Yeah, I, I would say, I would say it's, it's not complicated, but it's not normal, which probably yeah. makes it, you know, more confusing. Yeah. And so what we did is I have a podcast where it's all it's doing is educating tenant buyers. Okay. Our whole goal was you see all of those landlords What's or some lords that podcast? it's called pre-approved. Okay. And yeah. so you can go on there. We walk through a lease option contract. We walk through a contract for deed, like section one, section two, things to look out for, oh, lease great. option problems and solutions. And so we, we did all of that with the intent of don't get into a home, sign a lease option agreement and say, I'm going to buy this home within one year. Yeah. It always takes longer. Yeah. And typically what some of these landlords are doing is just taking 10K, kicking yeah. people out, putting yeah. another person in there, taking 10K, which is extremely profitable from an investor standpoint, but not the way that we want, that, that we feel like the industry should operate because to fix your credit, to get taxes, to do all that stuff, it always takes more time than you think. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. So that's, uh, that's just very good. Now, 
on the investor side, um, so so if I was to invest in one of the property, I would have to put up the money, buy the property, be on title, and be out a lot, quite a bit of cash. Uh, and you you were saying earlier, I think that the the return, the typical return that I would get, would be about ten percent of my money. Is that right? Ah, so ten percent if you bought it all cash, which is okay. why I'm such a fanboy of leverage. Okay. So imagine that you bought this home, $200,000, all cash, $2,200 a month is like a 10 cap. Yeah. You pay taxes, you pay insurance, you, you do anything else. And like, okay, we're at a 10 cap, which is pretty good from like an apartment building or just general rate of return. Like yeah. I can put my money, I have a paid off asset, it's 10%. However, now you borrow $160,000 at call it 6% or 7%. Yeah. You have that payment. Well, now you're only into it to 40, but remember the tenant buyer put in 10 or 20 grand so okay. now you're actually only into it for you know 10 to 20 or 20 to 30 and so instead of being in it for 200 you're into it for you know 20 to 30 yeah. and then now all of a sudden instead of doing one house with $200,000 you can do 10 houses yeah. and so instead of going from cash flowing $1800 a month you can cash flow $300 a month times 10 and yeah. it's it's just you, you get to multiply that with leverage and of course there's risk and reward and how much you want to leverage and what that looks yeah. like but then once you once you do leverage well now you're borrowing most of it at 6 because most of our investors um can get a bank loan no problem they say i got yeah. a w2 i got a high net worth i got a good de debt to income ratio yeah. and they'll get loans at 6 or 7% all day and because the equivalent you know yield that they're doing just like the bank does right we give them our money they pay us 0.1% and they lend it out at 4% yeah. it's the greatest it's the you know it's one of the greatest business philosophies ever it's like oh cool and and they're providing a service yeah. but just just the idea of yield spread i'm going to leverage my credit leverage real estate put a spread on it for the risk that i'm taking to make sure that you know if you only you know you can't do it for free if you just borrowed and lend borrowed and lend i mean it'd be it'd be charity not not an investment and so we found that with the tenant buyers having a lot more skin in the game than just a normal yeah. renter, like instead of having one month's security, you know, 10%, that can be 18 months. Yeah. And so the likelihood of them defaulting um, yeah. is, is, is still fairly low, but those individuals are riskier. There's also two programs that offer the equivalent of private mortgage insurance, but private renter's insurance. And so what we suggest is doing that because then if they default, you have $7,500 to $15,000 of coverage, yeah. which is like, again, the same thing that the banks are doing. So you're finding this riskier person. They're putting 10% yeah. down. Now I'm hedging with homeowner's insurance and rent and private renter's insurance that basically says, yeah. if the worst goes bad, at yeah. least they break even. And so yeah. that's where I, I love it as like, a, we coin it like heads I win, tails I break even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah I, yeah, I like that term. Yeah, that's good. And then the other thing too is that, I mean, you would think that the person that's going to be renting uh, with the lease option would have would be more reliable because they this is the home that they chose to live in and uh, you know that they want to buy eventually so they're already in there so you would think that they would be you know they would be more considerate they would be paying they would be also maybe take taking care of of the property or being taking better care of the property than a tenant that you know for, for, for sure. If, I, if I'm wearing my marketing hat, I say 100% yes. In yeah. reality, yeah. if these individuals can't get a bank loan or if they got credit issues or different stuff, like yeah. some of that's mindset and yeah. you know things that they'll just never overcome, which yeah. is why I love business owners and entrepreneurs because they're grinders, they're into personal development. And those are the people that we love buying homes for yeah. the most, yeah. even though we, we don't discriminate, we don't have a minimum credit score. It's 
the higher risk, the more of a down payment you have, maybe you have 20% down, which is where we kind of got started even before this call of like, well, flippers doing houses. Yeah. Okay. Well you can burr it, you can sell it. If for some reason you're like, man, I'd really want more for this property or higher rent. This is what we used to do. So we used yeah. to find the property and then list it so that these tenant buyers had something physical to go to. Yeah. And then they'd say, okay, I, he, they're offering it on this specific house. Yeah. And then how we flip that on its head is we said, okay, we'll pre-approve you first. Now you get to pick instead of from a hundred homes for rent, you can pick from 2000 homes for sale. And yeah. once they pick that home, they yeah, pay for yeah. an inspection. They find everything that's potentially wrong with it, negotiate it with the seller, just like a home purchase. Okay. Now they're a lot more committed than if you had this existing house, even if it was rehabbed, yeah. like if they didn't pay for an inspection, like they might figure out that the sewer or the roof or something, you know, has, has gone wrong with it. Yeah, that's kind of where I was uh, going with this also is that, you know, you're, you have a two year option and then one year in, uh, you have a roof issue or you have foundation issue, let's say like I, I'm as, as the investor, I mean, I'm, I don't want to, I'm just going to patch the roof and, uh, it's right. And then, uh, but if I own the property long-term, then I would want to fix the roof because I know that I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be in there for like 10, 15, 15 years. Sure. So, yep. So what's the, um, so what happens at, in this situation where repairs need, significant repairs need to be done. And then, um, and then I'm leasing. So I would expect the investor or home equity partner to actually make these repairs how does that work? Sure. So on the spectrum of how hands-off you want to be to how hands-on you want to be and the legality. So again, this Adam is an, is an attorney. And so this yeah. is again, a point of contention. So if you sold a home on a contract for deed or a land contract, 100% of the responsibilities is on the tenant buyer. If you sold the home on a lease with the option to buy, it gets gray. Okay. In some century codes, it says, no matter what, I don't care what you did and what you agreed upon, the landlord is responsible for roof, HVAC, electrical. Okay. Um, and how, how some people get away with this in a gray area is they set a limit for anything over or under $1,000, tenant buyers are responsible for yeah. anything above that, the landlord's responsible for, or I've seen it the whole way where it's like, nope, this is, this is agreed upon in writing. We got the repairs. We got everything fixed you are the homeowner. Anything yeah. that goes wrong with this, it's like a mortgage. If if your roof starts leaking, don't call your banker. He's going to tell you to go call a roofer. Yeah. And so um, with the exception of a contract for deed being really clear, once you get in the yeah. lease option space, and when you talk with attorneys, it's it, it's not necessarily well, well, West. The safest answer is just act like a landlord and repair everything yourself. However, typically the lease options are structured so that the tenant buyer has more responsibility. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that's very good. Maybe you want to go through, I mean, we talked about the, kind of like the rent to own, lease purchase option and contract for deeds. Maybe you want to kind of like explain, maybe we should have started with this. Uh, you can want to explain that uh, kind of like the difference between the uh, the three the three different options. Sure. So I'm going to break it down. So in general, so we had a whole podcast on this that was just called yeah. rent to own alphabet soup because okay. um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it into three buckets. So bucket A, I'm going to call rent to own. And in general, that's lease option, lease purchase, um, rent to own, like rent with the option to buy, all that falls into that. Yeah. Option B is land contract, contract for deed. Yeah. Option C is true seller financing. And so if we talk A, B, C on option A, the investor's on title, and it's it's just typically two agreements, a lease 
and an yeah. option to buy. Um, you can get really tricky with like lease purchase options where they're obligated to buy it, not have the option to buy it, Yeah, which is, which is a big difference, right? Where you say, hey, you're buying this. We're just waiting versus, yeah. hey, you have the option to buy it. Same yeah. thing as like rental and that kind of covers all that. Yeah. Land contract, aka contract for deed, you're still on title, but you've given equitable interest to the property that gets filed at the county and that individual. Who's on title? I'm sorry. Who's on title? Uh, the, the, invest, the investor is still on title, okay. can have a first position as a bank, and then the contract for deed or land contract gets filed after that. So okay. if you went to the county, you would see home equity partner on title. You might see Wells Fargo as a first position mortgage, and yeah. you might see contract for deed between home equity partner and John and Jane. Okay. And even though they're not on title, they have what's called an equitable interest in the property. And so that's actually seen as a sale in the eyes of the county and in the eyes of the IRS. So really? in so in, in part A, the investor is still depreciating the asset yeah. every year at 27 and a half. On option B, it's actually it's actually um deferred gains. So you're selling it over time. Yeah. And so it's actually, sometimes it can be creative because you're actually selling it piece by piece by piece, yeah. but you don't, you can't 1031 option B, the contract for your land contract. You can on option A um, because you're selling from one entity yeah. to another. But since this isn't, this is considered a sale in the eyes of the county and the IRS, you yeah. can't quite do it. And then C is what I call true seller financing yeah. where the tenant buyer or the person is on title. And then you move to first or second position as yeah. the investor, in which case then you just hold a mortgage and a note, yeah. no equitable interest. You're just collecting interest. That's I'm, right. I'm hoping I broke that ABC down. Yeah, well. that makes sense. I didn't realize I, I've never heard of the contract deed, the contract for deed. So that's kind of interesting. And it sounds like it's actually recorded. Um, uh, so at, yeah, at the County, e even yeah. though it doesn't have to be, it really should be. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's, it's, it's also very much like a vehicle. You actually don't get title until you've completely paid off everything. So it works very similar to that. Okay. Oh, excellent. Um, so yeah, that was absolute great conversation. So I know you have a podcast as well. So we're going to put that in the show notes, your wealth of knowledge, obviously, and obviously, Adam is speaking in as an investor, not as a lawyer. So uh, check with your real estate lawyer. I have one more question before we wrap it up. And it's, is there are there some states that are better than others to do this kind of business? I would I would say yes. So in general, there's probably the landlord versus tenant buyer friendly state. So like the typical New York, California, more tenant friendly Whereas like Ohio, you could serve a three-day notice and get them out of there. And it's like, you can have a property back in like seven days, which I just think is ridiculous. So in general, that applies. And then like where I'm from in North Dakota, we do it in North Dakota and in Minnesota. In North Dakota, foreclosure is like six to eight months if you do a contract for deed. Yeah. And in Minnesota, it's only like two or three months. And then there's different things you can do with powers of attorney. And so like, depending on what state you're in, you might want to get strategic with a lease option or a contract for deed. And then each yeah. state even has, has rules on what you can or can't do on a contract for deed. So I would say in general, yes, but also what we're playing for is a cash flow play, which is why we're across the Midwest. And we don't really do this in California just because yeah. the price to rent ratio has yeah. to be, you know, somewhat favorable unless someone's willing to strike an option price. Yeah. you know, with the hope. So if I was in California, I would love to do a lease with an option to buy, right? Ooh, this yeah. $600,000 house yeah. that I can rent for $2,000 with an option to buy at 660 
and it might go to 700. And if it drops, you know, I can get out of it. Like as a tenant buyer, I would love to do that in California or Florida or some other places. And in the Midwest, it's more investor friendly because a $200,000 home, you can rent for $2,000 a month fairly easily just because of lower appreciation. And Mm -hmm. I could go on to that, but in general, that that's kind of the rule of thumb that we follow, but you could do it at any state. Well, it makes a lot of sense. Well, Adam, uh, you know, uh, any famous last words before we wrap it up? I would, I would love for everyone that has not done a real estate investment deal to do just one and figure out, Hey, do I like this or do I not? I, I know almost nobody that has one investment property. They either did it and they hate it and they have zero or yeah. they did it and they love it and they have a hundred or 10 or, you know, whatever it is. And so I think, uh, and again, real estate isn't for everyone, but I think if you're on the fence about doing your first deal, just to get a taste of it, set up some sort of scenario where it's heads, I win tails I break even in whatever manner that that looks like for you. And it might just be heads I win, tails I learn a lot because that's how I started. I definitely lost money, but I learned a lot. And so that would be my encouragement to anyone in the audience. If you're thinking about flipping, if you're thinking about getting investing, a syndication, whatever it is, like there's just so much to potentially learn there and the the opportunity and freedom that it can unlock. Um, We just love to encourage anyone listening to potentially take whatever that next step was be, who who you need to call, what numbers you need to crunch, if you need to take a HELOC, whatever it is to take that first step. Well, Adam, thank you very much. You're welcome, Eric. It was a pleasure. Yep. Great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Break Away from the Rat Race with your host, Eric Martell. If you want to share your story and experience with our listeners, please message us on Facebook at Break Away from the Rat Race. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast on iTunes.